So the, the thing about um, FKR, uh, the rules light or heaviness is is an orthogonal axis, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not on the spectrum of, of of. So I think the spectrum of of FKR, well, so is the uh, it really kind of is the degree to which. Um, let's say rules deference for the entire table, right? Um, comes into play, right? If you're, if you're in a situation of uncertainty and you've got a, you're playing some game where everybody has the rule book in front of them and everyone has read the rule book and kind of has internalized the rules presented by it. Uh, um, and it falls through a little, you know, pachinko machine in their brain to come down to aha this requires the uh taking cover you know this falls under the taking cover rule right according to the taking cover rule on page 38 i get a plus two to my defense or whatever Mm -hmm. right or they take a minus two to their ability to hit me and now we've collectively achieved it what the odds are they're going to roll a d20 at a minus two and it's going to blah, 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 right? There's a, there's a level of system mastery there that everybody at the table has or is expected to have to make gameplay go efficiently, right? Right. And FKR says, that's A, that's not necessary. Uh, not everybody has to have system mastery. And system mastery can get in the way because it trains people to only look for situations that are presented by the rules right absolutely it's kind of it, there's a little bit of of ad absurdum there with you know i mean oh well there's no rules for going to the bathroom so i can't do that this is you know? what happens and, when you evolve a booklet made from a war game called chainmail into <laughs> something that wants to no but it's true like into something that wants to be narrative first. Like modern D&D is very narrative focused. And yet there are things called the armor class descended from the armor levels of battalions and troops. Like uh, it's D&D narrative focused, yet you have to you have to elaborate on that. I would vehemently disagree with you. I'm not saying they pull it off. First of all, I'm not saying they okay. pull it off because just about the only thing that modern D&D has as far as we're talking... Okay, let me rephrase that. Might be a language barrier here. English is not my first language. Um, the, I'm not talking about the way the system is built. I'm talking the, the way the, the game is played. There is in a much heavier focus nowadays. And granted, the D&D crowd usually doesn't play anything else than D&D. So... Yeah, the D&D crowd now plays a game that is that has 90% of its rules made for combat in a way that doesn't focus on combat. Like they're they're trying to do so much with a combat sim that is not combat that it boggles the mind right. why they're using right. a combat sim for it is what I'm saying. So and that's what happens when the biggest known game evolved from 
a war game called Chainmail that had the booklet made for it where you used where instead of, of embodying an army or even a battalion or even a troop or a, a company <clears throat> or a squad, you have a single guy with a single role. Like there's so much stuff that is inherited and that we can't really get rid of. And it's like patching a patch of a patch of a patch of a patch. And eventually the systems are not designed for it. That's the root problem, I think. And, uh, and similarly, right. I think, um, so I'm not a historian. I'm going to probably butcher this. The, the, what came out, uh, so Kriegspiel was a war game taught by, I think the Prussian army, you know, way back when, and it had mm -hmm. right. set, yep. set corpus of rules and ways that uh, a referee was meant to adjudicate by deferring to those rules in, in the question where something was uncertain. And it, it, um, it hampered like actual, it hampered the growth and development of experience for those players who were, you know, students at the academy or whatever. It hampered them because it only predicted moves and scenarios that could be accounted for by the rules. And so there was pushback and uh, some fine warmonger came up with the notion that uh, you're you're doing these students a disservice. They're not going to learn the actual, you know, even even anecdotal reality of of war by deferring to these clinical rules that abstract everything away. What we need is a referee with actual real world experience to be able to talk through a scenario based on their own, you know, <clears throat> past and be able to adjudicate. And it, it was basically like the introduction of, of tactical infinity, right? It's like, now you can really do anything. And I can talk through from my experience of B Battlefield how well that's actually going to work. And they would they would um, defer to this referee with real-world experience who would explain how well or not that thing worked that they're trying to do. That was the whole notion of free Kriegspiel, right? Was we're no longer, we're, we're divorced from... Being tied to the rules, we're going to give up um, that adjudication to someone who actually knows their shit, right? And as that pertains to role-playing, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, right, Kevin Cienbieta, whatever, he does not know <laughs> every possible thing you can do, uh, no matter how big, how many how many shelf feet you're going to pile with, like, Rift's books, right? Um the only thing that is the the true canonical representation of the shared game world at your table is the referee who plays everyone in the universe except for the player characters and the player characters, right? And by sort of sheer volume, right, the, uh, the GM kind of like <laughs> gets a little bit of precedence there. Um, they're the ones who have to make sense of the world and make, sh make sure that uh, how the world reacts to player characters' actions and how the world sets up the stage for players to make informed actions and decisions. So it's, it's saying, forget the rule book. You know, the, the referee, we will trust the referee 
to adjudicate this situation fairly because they're representing, you know, inside their own brain computer, you know, uh, a, a logically consistent, internally consistent world. And my player character is going to try and do this. And then the GM referee will say, all right, here's, here's your chances for doing that. And they can defer to rules-heavy systems if they've internalized that all in their brain. They can defer to a flip of a coin. Um, I think the idea being as long as they're consistent and uh, and and trying to be impartial. Right? So it's more and of I think a that, play that, style for the DM in the, in the table than an actual game type. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can you can oh, FKR anything. Oh, that is so good because that's exactly what I came here for. So, because you know, like all of us, I'm designing a heartbreaker, obviously, because why wouldn't I? Um, yeah. And everybody, so everybody should. I yeah, I know. I think so. And I realize now that you've explained this that this is very close to how I DM, and so this is interesting for me because this is an occasion and a chance to kind of try and implement part of that ideology in the game book, like in the game design itself to, 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 to free the DM and the table um, or either to free them from the stress of getting it right. So that's what something I was trying to do already on my own, but now I discovered there's an actual community for this. That's good. So many of us come, <laughs> come to that realization going, Oh, that's just how we do it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm original. This is obviously why the Discord exists. No, and that's why it resonates. That's why it resonated. It's certainly why it resonated with me. I'm like, oh, there's a name and, for the way. That and the I only reason I'm here is thing. because I was on that other Discord. I'm like, there's no voice chat. How am I going to bounce ideas? And they said, well, there's this thing called FKR going there. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah. And that's that's very much just a, uh, I think it's a wonderful um, asset we have here is the, the ability and capacity for people to jump in and do that. And uh, yeah, I don't I'm know not, if I was I'm muted. not sure why more discords don't do that. What talk? You, been. you said something like, yeah, it, yeah, voice chat. Yeah, I love it. Uh, but I'm gonna say Boca. Boca? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh. You pronounce it however you will. It's both a photography term and a Japanese name word, That's so it I doesn't thought. matter. Yeah. I know the photography. <clears throat> Little dots. Well, if you want um, a bit of history, but go sure. ahead first. <clears throat> no, you go. Uh, bokeh in Japanese means blur or blurry. Um, mm. Like when your vision is blurred or when um, there's a blur in the sky, for example, through heat or through uh, you know the temperature, whatever. Bokeh means blur both um physically and artistically or even just metaphorically and japanese people when someone is a bit airheaded a bit distracted a bit add like i am they call them affectionately bokeh like almost like airhead sure. if you will uh and sure. because i am i do a lot of photography and i'm very add and i'm distracted and my friends in japan called me bokeh like that became the name no it's good i don't i don't know if i was so muted when i said say, this but i was gonna say um you know, when you're talking about like, oh, that's actually how I play. It's like, that's like almost everyone in here feels exactly the same way. It's like, oh, I, I was playing FKR. I didn't even know it. <laughs> right. But it it's more like then you lean into it and then it then it really kind of 
right? Like, because mm-hmm. you, the principles are very similar, right? Like, everyone has very similar principles, but leaning well, into it is kind of the the jam. Right. Well, what I want to do is probably kind of be a a dirty, dirty propagandist and <laughs> kind of hide the core ideas of 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 what you've given a name to called FKR. Um, in right. in in in, in the rules book in the games book of that game I'm designing, so that I want to kind of n- make sure that when people play my game, if anybody plays my game eventually, they kind of naturally tend toward that style of DMing without realizing it. By the way, I've described the DM's job in this game, you know, because sometimes or most of the time, a DM's job is described as here's all the rules. Here's all the things you need to do, and here's this portion to run the game, and here's this small section of how you should kind of resolve problems. Uh, but but there's just about never a section about, I almost want to say, the philosophy of DMing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I kind of want to hide that in my text so that players kind of naturally tend to do that because just of the way as just of, because of the way their job has been described by the book. So you yeah, want to hide the GMing strongly with me. No, I, I want to hide the FKR mentality in all of the book, including the GMing tips or even gotcha. just the GMing section. Like yeah. I want to use a natural language uh that but not a weird natural language like for example D D would do it. But I, I want to not be overly hung up on this mechanical uh, you know when you r- write a rules book, there's a specific way of using language that is artificial and like more structured than a normal human would speak it's almost Mm -hmm. like uncanny valley territory um and i want to minimize that as much as possible to kind of get outside of the mindset of everything is boxes and checks yep that's 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 exactly the impetus that led me to to write journeyman um was exactly that right it's like i'm gonna make a a system that tries to capture how I feel about running. And apart from putting in a lot of advice, like it fits in an eight page pocket mod with. Mm. Well, ironically, my system is kind of, there's a lot of rules too, but (laughs) because the game I want to design currently, I'm on a tactical vibe, right? I'm on a, I'm, I'm on a, the kind of play style and feel I want to, I like right now is, is more like a strategy game. Um, so there are bound to be rules, but I feel like the whole, the whole implementation, like past, past combat and past what is necessary to resolve checks. I feel like there's a lot of room for, uh, this FKR thing to apply. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I mean, an FKR I don't. I I missed the first part of your guys' conversation, but like obviously FKR. Well, not obviously. We keep having. We need to keep repeating it because uh, uh, people come in and say, "Oh, FKR is about fuck rules, right?" <laughs> it's like, and it's the answer is no. It's not. No, it's about no. It's not. It's it's to about me, not being hung up on rules if it stops the game. Yeah, like to, to me and Zach, you argue against or tell me I'm a crazy person because I am, (laughs) but like, 
yeah, to me, the easiest way to explain it is just like, we all use the rules that make us comfortable running. That's it. Or, or our table comfortable. That's all we do. It doesn't really matter how many there are. It doesn't matter anything, right? Like, how do you do it, Zach? Yeah, we, <laughs> we we talk things through until yeah. we don't know what the answer is. That's that's all role playing is to totally. me. Totally. Yeah, and then if if you're at the end of that rope, you roll dice and maybe it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> I love rolling and, dice. White bread and I both roll dice probably about the same amount. Uh, like you know, like seventh does not. He hates dice. Right, like, oh, I love but dice. I kind of love I do too. dice. Same, and but it doesn't. But matter. ironically, I ironically I love dice, but ironically I dislike pool systems. Oh, see, I run a so pool. I, burn. <laughs> what so, do you say? Yeah, do you say I burn? do use a pool. <laughs> I did. I was I was kidding. I, I just I heard burn. burning myself. <laughs> yeah, I was burning myself really. Oh, like I thought you said burn as in like burn hell. <laughs> I was like, wow. No. I was making fun of myself. As a joke, that would have been funny. But I yeah, like... Um, it was really. I uh, To me, pools feel mushy. Like, I'm, my brain needs to see... Uh, okay, the only pools I like are additive pools. I, I have nothing against pools if I have a bigger number as a result. I dislike, like, numbers of successes and failures or six is a success, four or five is a partial. I, I dislike those personally. I know they mechanically work very well. I know they make a, a game go by super easy. I know they're a great solution. They're just not for me. Yeah, it's cool. I don't like math. They're, they're all, I do not do they're math. all percentages. It's all percentages. Yeah, totally. And of course it is, but my brain likes to see a number roll and I add no, it up I'm and saying, like there's this split so. second of moment where my brain adds things up and I go, is it going to be enough? Oh God, yes, it's enough. Like I like that, sure. that big number go. Red. I'm just saying yeah. if you take a, if you take any system, you know, take a D20 rollover, right? You're talking percentages in 5% increments and of course. you can translate that back to rolling D percentage or you can do more coarse grained and you're dealing with, you know, two D sixes and you can find out what the, what the percentage curve is for a given thing and map that to it. It's, it's all about finding exactly your comfort level. And there are people who like, I don't like, I would rather roll two D six static against a moving target number than having a stationary target number and applying modifiers. Right. Cause it's like, am I doing, am I doing, am I doing the math or is the referee doing the math? But right. I'm, or are, yeah, yeah. Heaven forbid, are we are we both doing math and figuring <laughs> yeah. out this shit? What's right? what's and interesting right now is that the system I'm designing is kind of weird. I've not really seen like there's many systems out there, and I there's in another community I frequent called uh, the Discord for JFace Games. He's a little known guy, um, and there's a guy in there who's almost. Uh, a TTRPG historian, like the guy has been around when, when, uh, Kriegspiel was, was a thing or, um, he's been around when like chain mail came out. And so he knows the whole history. So when I come up with something I think is weird or I haven't seen often, I'm like, Shane, have you seen this somewhere? And most of the time he's like, 
which of these 11 examples do you want? Uh, but sometimes I come up with something really good and he's like, I haven't really seen that combination of, of ideas. And so that feels great. Uh, but currently I'm, I'm designing a system where there are dice rolls, but there are a lot of static numbers, almost like a strategy game where, or a card game where, you know, many of the basic values that reassure you that your choice is not entirely wasted and everything in my game is going to be a trade-off. Um, are you taking this attack so that you can pull off something uh, later? If this attack is so important to me, can I be sure that it will uh, uh, um, do the effect I want it to do? Yes, because I have stationary numbers or static numbers that I can count on, and then I just need to roll well enough and maybe pop off some abilities. So I'm, I'm satisfying my own urge for dice rolling, but at the same time, I'm trying to make something tactical. I wouldn't say a chess game, but almost lots of moving parts whose result you can you can predict in a way. And so you're resolving the partial uncertainty. I dig it. We'll see. The first playtests are coming soon, so really excited. Hey Dante. How are you doing? Hello. Yeah, not fully caught up on the conversation, but... It's going in every direction, don't worry. Ah, that's how it usually is. I had a topic I wanted to, wanted to float. I don't know that it's worth, like, recording. We can, we can float it and decide whether it's something that... So... I, um, so right. There's it's about a, GURPS, there's, isn't it? There's... Is it going to be about GURPS? It's about GURPS. <laughs> Wait, you're talking Please, about no. <laughs> I don't like GURPS. We're not talking GURPS about GURPS. I, that was a um, joke. Sorry. Sorry, Boca. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, no. So there's a, uh, I, I, I like, so one of the things that we, we tend to, well, one of the things that I tend to do, one of the things that got me into FKR in general, right, is is um, one of the problems I have with a lot of the state of role playing now is a lot of these IP um, send ups, right? Free League is just pooping out IP based RPGs all the time, which is you know more more power to them, right? Get get you some if you can, but like. Um, like Blade Runner had such promise, and then they produce a game where it's just a bunch of different ways to be a cop. And I'm like, <laughs> the world is bigger than that. The world, the world presented by Blade Runner is a lot bigger than that. And the the potential for for me for a rewarding role playing game in that world is a lot bigger than is provided and and bound by their game. And so I'm like, you know, thinking back, like let's take let's take that property, let's take that established world and figure out better ways to play in it that, that answers the kinds of questions that I have about that world through play. Not, and uh, now, sorry, go ahead. And a lot of the a lot of the cool properties that are out there are based on cinematic. Um, stories and cinematic stories have their own flow and their beats and 
their own language for communicating these stories. You know, um, Alien wouldn't be Alien without jump scares and inopportune, you know, occurrences and distractions and, you know, overlooking things and stumbling on the unknown. And those, all these games, Mothership and Alien and whatever else, they try and overcome and provide for those story beats mechanically and that usually is where it kind of falls down for me because then they start tying they start tying the only kinds of stories you can tell in those worlds Mm. to things that are supported by the mechanics right it's hard to play a game where an encounter with an alien is like the the high point of of a space truckers game right at the end the the climax of a longer running thing or it's going to end up inuring the table to the presence of xenomorphs because oh we got jump scared you know 30 times over the past you know five sessions and you know there's I, only there's only so much my my dicky heart can take uh, right I, I um i just want to say i don't know how much freedom they have though with ips like there has oh, to be some focus they don't they don't focus tested uh, 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 kind of suit breathing down the neck yeah and there's there's a there's a million ips out there that don't have any kind of weight or 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 a gravity well that's going to drive free league to go after it but but the books are there the movies are there you can if you find if you as a as a ref or as a player find something uh resonant about uh, a story that exists, a movie someplace. You're like, I want to play in that world. Uh, you can get together and you can do it because like it presents, you know, enough of the story that you can get, get those beats. And so what I'm, I'm interested in ways that we can provide for some of those that are settled mechanically in some of those games in ways that, uh, that don't have to leverage mechanics to do it and the thing that i've been there's a scenario that i want to capture in a game it's modern we're playing modern you know urban horror kind of thing right and uh it's the thing you've seen it in a million movies like um in the mouth of madness right sam neill's character is driving down the road trying to get out of this town he's already his his adrenaline's ramped up because he's he got some early freak out early on he's he's escaping town and he's driving and he's looking in his rearview mirror. He's looking, he turns his head and look over the, the headrest out the back window. He's trying to see if he's being followed. He turns back and he sees a kid in the headlights, right? And it's like this swerve and he slams on the brakes and there's, the, it's like a jump scare. And then he gets out of the car and there's nothing there, just like tire tracks, right? No body, nothing was hit. Just like, was it a ghost? Whatever. And I'm trying to figure out ways to produce that kind of a moment in a game that isn't just the GM, you know, monologuing during the whole thing, removing player agency, but like you need a little bit of setting the groundwork for the characters is stressed and distracted and in a hurry and not in a particular place to 
sort of notice something. And and the fact that this might be like a, a ghost, an apparition, something that has no corporal manifestation, it's kind of like giving you, referee, license to put that anywhere, but you have to set the situation up in a way that, you know, without leading the player, right? Like, you know, are are you looking around? Are you looking back and forth? Okay, well, when, when you do and turn back around, you see a kid in your headlights, right? And and anyway, I, mostly this was uh, an effort to, a desired effort to like rubber duck through this kind of a situation. How do we, how do we pro- provide these kinds of really intense emotional scenes? Like in the, the, that raw kind of, I forget where this particular thing would fit on the uh, on Ash Laws, the trajectory of fear, whether that's terror or whatever. I think it's terror because it's the you know the momentary whoosh, kind of like adrenaline release, and then you have got the the come down from that. Um, but how we how we ramp up to not only that being a plausible like story beat, but like working through that situation at the table. That's what I'm really interested in. In I have through. a thought. A thought. Tell me. Um, yeah, so... I'll have to dig it up or we'll just ask Halloween or something. Uh, but Halloween has... Uh, I, th- I think she took it down, but I could, we could still find it. She has a, a blog post on her and uh, Norbert going through diceless fights. You're read that mm-hmm. i think yeah. i have is that in the hotel room and the yeah um i thought it was on a train or something there's a couple of them but like okay so he had a yeah. couple a when i'm reading that i was getting tense because i really kind of liked it but i could kind of feel how mm-hmm. it was when they were playing it right like so i thought that was kind of cool that that actually got me I wouldn't say, you know, like not literally on the edge of the seat, but like definitely got me racing a little, but he also did a, Norbert had a, a countdown thing that I thought was kind of cool. Um, where it's just like, you, you know, like, cool. You have five to decide four, three, two, right? Like, and mm. then like, and then you did, I swear, right? Like, I, I don't know if that would work, but like, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I like that. So I like I, that bringing some sort of a timer. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I was gonna say I've run several horror games in all different types of horror. Trying to do slasher horror, trying to do campy horror, trying to do um, uh, like more Cthulhu mind fucky horror. Um, and time is is like Brian was saying is a great tool for it. It's a really hard tool to use though. Yeah, it is. Um, mm. I, I've had I've had. Um, there's this Cthulhu, like it, I modified it a bunch, but it was an old, old Cthulhu module. Basically, like uh, you're on a uh, sanatorium island, you know, off the coast of New England somewhere. Um, it's bad monster ensues, stuff happens, but it's very different things happen at night versus at day. And so, if you're running a one shot, which I was at the time, and it's like a you know, maybe four to six hours, something like that. Um, how do you keep these day night transitions? And so I used a real life timer. I think it was like every, it was at like, I think it was like every 30 minutes. Um, it was 12 hours maybe, or it was every hour was 12 hours, one or the other. Um, so that 
that would be when the day and night transition happens. And so at a certain point, about halfway through, they realize what it means when night is falling. It doesn't, it's, it's a bad thing. Um, and so because they're aware of the real life clock and the in-game clock and the, uh, the implications and the threat to their characters and the threat to other, to other NPCs when night falls, they were very much like sometimes they were like discussing stuff and they're like actually we have five minutes left we need to like we're in the middle of the woods we have to leave we can discuss this later we have to go and then maybe there's something happening that's tense as like i'm like there's one minute until night falls and you're three minutes away from you know safety or whatever what are you going to do and so that it can create a really interesting pressure um i think with the example you were bringing up earlier zach um with the you know, the child on the road and the player looking aside, I wouldn't ever want to tell the player, um, you know, like you're looking like left and right and then you don't notice this kid. It's not very climactic, but you could build up to it potentially by saying things like, oh, you actually know there's a lot of deer in this area. So you have to keep scanning left and right to look for, you know, deer as you're driving at night. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe you have them, you'd be like, actually, you've been up for a very long time and you had two drinks with dinner, but... You're feeling it, and it's kind of warm in the car, feeling a little sleepy. It's an easy check, but just to stay awake, you know, make, make a constitution check. Or you start to, you know, like something like that. You could do that even. Um, and that's not that tense, though. And it's so it's warm. really... Go ahead, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I, I just tried to interject really quickly in the middle. A mechanic I've used successfully to create tension for time is when time passes in certain chunks... I would in in person that can only be done in person. I would pile up d6 d6s on top of each other, and I told the party, when that tower falls, something bad happens. Oh so, yeah, that's that's cool. That's kind of like uh, the job. I think I just saw this a very similar thing, and yeah, that's that's a really good. It's kind of like an inverse. Party is riding like you would get you would get early on like only three d sixes were piled up like it was really early in in the game, but then the party was like they they go to the toilet and they 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 leave the table really cautiously and they sit really cautiously and they all look at each <laughs> other because doesn't matter if it's fun. thirty minutes in if that tower falls you're in deep shit and so it creates tension and like an aura at the table it was really fun to try. It's also one thing I really like to create tension is. <laughs> weirdly split the party um always split and the, party. <laughs> the thing <laughs> the thing that's useful about it though is um you know I, I think about some of my favorite horror people like stephen king one thing he constantly does to build tension is he does cut between two point of views because if you know yeah. like it like if someone needs to get a mcduffin to a certain location and they're driving there right and then the other point of view is maybe uh, someone who knows that something is coming to kill that person and it will kill them unless they can get to them in time to warn them. And so you're cutting between those two and you're like, I don't know if they're going to make it in time, uh, if this person's gonna be able to stop that monster from killing that MacGuffin character in time, right? Um, Very common thing that he does. So I do that with my own POVs where I'm like, okay, this half of the party, maybe they're doing some, you can have horror in many instances, like maybe it's a large battle, I'm like, you see uh, like a Helm's Deep of sorts, you see the torch coming to the wall and you know that if it gets there, it's going to blow up. And you see these two other party members are right above where the explosion will be and they're caught up in the midst of fighting and they don't know. So now half the party is like, oh, 
it's not just scary. It's scary because they don't know, right? That so half the party is aware of, has that information. Um, it's sort of like Hitchcock. I don't know if you've anyone seen the Hitchcock clip where he's discussing like the bomb in the diner, which is essentially um, there's like a scene where there's people talking in a diner for a few minutes and then it blows up and it's like horrifying. It's a jump scare, but it's not really that scary because of how unexpected it is. Horrifying. Yeah, what's mm-hmm. horrifying is cutting to the conversation that people are having in real time, completely unaware and unfazed, and then there's a ticking bomb under their chair. Yeah, because right. you as the audience have have all of the pieces and can see. That's another thing that's that's really hard in role playing games is, and you can play with a with a table who's got the dedication and the 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 chops to to balance player knowledge versus character knowledge. It can be done effectively with people who, who have the, the skill and deliberation to like set that aside. I know this, but my character doesn't. Um, but it's really, it's still hard to, to ramp up that. It's really great when players tension and characters tension kind of like are, 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 are in alignment you got a, you got two sine waves that are like right together. That's really cool. Um, it's really it's a little bit harder to have that forced when the player has all that knowledge and then they make their character feel it. And that's why I think where so many games throw in stress or sand or whatever and mm-hmm. try and give you the player a visible re- representation of like how far out on a limb and depleted in terms of you know, mental capacity for dealing with ongoing stress, your character is so that you can react accordingly to changes in the situation. But uh, let's, let's jump into Dante brings up a good point. Also, I mean, seriously, always fucking split the party. It's the greatest thing ever. Like that was terrible (laughs) advice back in the day, but like, so that, so how I get I get the premise is like, cool. I want to jump cut. I don't want to, I don't want to monologue it, but like, right. Like the, the, the best part of the split party is you're jumping back and forth between the actions. Right. And you can kind of create the tension and you can create some pacing there. Right. Like by when you do the little, your little cinematic jump cuts, right. Like, boom, you're back on the thing. Like, is there a way, right. Like, my brain went to like, you know, you're driving down the thing or, or if you have a split party, if you have a way to, you know, diverge the, the attention uh, of two different things and you jump instantly back to the car and, and you're like, Oh, you know, player, player B, uh, you're driving down the road. There's a child in the, in the front of the road. What do you do? That something along those lines, maybe there's something in there. I don't know. It's a good idea though. Good, good, good premise. Dante. I like that. I also have a, have a concrete example from my last campaign I ran, which was a, a fantasy game. The party did get split, and essentially, without delving into that part too much, it ended up where most of the party was in an underground like cave system, like slowly ascending towards the surface, and the other party member was at the surface at a city and was basically told by people running the city, they're like, oh, we know that we've detected that your friends are in this cave. Also, we need you to go down there to retrieve a MacGuffin. 
Also, be careful of this demon of, like, legend that we talk about. And we don't go into the cave for this reason. But because of this certain circumstances in this emergency, we're going to let you go down there. And everyone else was like, the what in the cave? The the what <laughs> demon? <laughs> awesome. Uh, Splitting the party to uh, give give some of them information or give the players information. Giving the players information is often can create some tension. Right? It's cool. Well, and I like the, the framing of that, right. Is, is the introduction yeah. of common knowledge after the fact, right. Yeah. <laughs> after they're already down there and uh, yeah. And the, yeah, they go and pull somebody, just pull a miner out. Like, well, thank God you got to me before the demon did. They're like, wait, what now? <laughs> well, and, and I get, uh, you want the, you want the, the jump scare, right? Like, but does it work almost as well if you're just like, um, you just ran the the car. You just ran over something. It felt like a body, and you feel like there was something. You know, like you thought your mind saw a child in front of the car for a split second. What the fuck was you know? There's something like it's probably not. It probably doesn't work either. But like that's just where my brain I, is going. I don't know. That's what, yeah. That's what I, I I think those. Because, and I get to this be, through all this, because I because I explicitly don't want to provide any more <laughs> rules or, yeah. or mechanics for, for journeymen to run uh, a horror game that I would find compelling and effective, right? And I think mm. there are lots of, like, Cthulhu Dark is about the, the, the deepest I would want to go, right, with your insight track. And... But that even that doesn't really like that's that's a reaction and a response to the events in the game, and I want the events in the game to carry their own weight. Totally. I, I I would much rather shoot for making the player unnerved uh, un unnerved on behalf of the character. Um, I just think that would you know I I would respond to it a lot better. I I have been. In or I'm in the long-running masks of Nyarlathotep game right now, and the, the situations are are bad and dire. We get into these combats and say what you want about Seventh Edition Call of Cthulhu, it is a bit of a slog. But like the the situations do not impart on me, the player, any of the effect that they ostensibly have on the characters, and that's. I don't think it's a fault of our keeper. I don't think it's a fault of mm -mm. Um, of the story. I think the the story pro provides horrific elements. I just think the the way that that is so absolutely decoupled between like I've got sand points and I'm watching this meter go tick 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 down. Um, a it doesn't tick down very much. My character was lucky and had a fairly high sanity he's a very skeptical place to you know that's another thing i think that anyway that's that's a whole different discussion um, if you're going to play by those rules i would think that skeptical people would have would start off with lower sanity because they become far more affected by weird shit than people who are already kind of like scattered and like willing to buy into the the supernatural right Anyway, that's that's a whole other conversation. But I the, the the point was like I was not feeling what Jerry was feeling when he was in situations that 
should have been horrific to any human being experiencing them. Um, and I don't want that. I want I want something where the players come out of that going, holy shit, that was a session, right? Mm. I don't know. That's what I want out of it. I, I think, God. you know, from my own, my own experience, I would say being really consistent with consequences is incredibly important for horror. I mean, I think it's important for good, good play in general, but, but really being consistent with your players understanding and knowing that if they do a certain action, someone could live. And if they don't do a certain action, someone could die very easily. Like, uh, what's a good example? You know, if, if someone hears a noise behind a door and they're like, I'm going to be smart and not investigate it. Great, maybe. Um, and maybe someone else, op- some NPC opens that door later and it gets them instead, right? Um, and, and and so just being consistent with whatever would have happened. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, oh, I just totally lost my train of thought saying that. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I, I am a terrible person to have in your Cthulhu Dark game, I think, maybe. I, I have now played in one Delta Green. I've played it <laughs> Halloween's Delta Green slash. What's the Cthulhu uh, uh, tracking system? It's a... Cthulhu. Huh? What was it? What's the what? What's, What's the tracking the what? die tracking for... System? Yeah, you, you just said it. Zach, I just can't remember it. Um, the insight die, yeah. Insight die, yeah. I insight. don't even know how that works, honestly. So she was rolling. We were rolling with that, just the insight die, of the first game, and the second game she introduced um, twenty four hundred, and I don't think it worked as well. None of us did because uh, we didn't need the rules. The insight die was cool, but like, I was playing a, I was basically playing Dirk Gently from Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. So like, the second my my character got freaked out. Uh, he he dropped acid to counteract it, and so then, like, at some point when I was holding a razor to my th- my a razor to my own throat, going to commit suicide, it was it kind of ratcheted down the maybe the tension. I felt bad, um, because I couldn't tell if I was tripping balls or, or you know, if if I was seeing weird stuff. So don't uh, invite I me. I will to your say game. that important. <laughs> I'll say as a GM the most horrific thing and shocking thing that ever occurred from my point of view was I did have a player in a horror game one time explicitly commit suicide um, Mm. when I was not expecting it and you know um, (laughs) it was to to this day when we do safety discussions we talk about that as a a topic (laughs) Um, is that okay or not okay this horror um, but it was it was truly so shocking to me because I didn't see it coming, you know, in, in any direction. And they thought they were being truthful to the character. And I won't disagree with that necessarily. But so there are things that can definitely horrify you as a GM still, even in you're controlling the big, scary monster. Well, I mean, it was kind of because it was supposed to be a horror game, right? Like and then it became we were dying laughing the whole time. <laughs> Cause like, I, I don't know. And then it just kept going. And then, and then cosmic and I had this really long, like back and forth that just became awesome. She was, play- <laughs> she was playing G Gordon Liddy character and I was, play- <laughs> it just became ridiculous. 
But it was all, it wasn't like, we weren't trying to make fun of it. We were playing, you know, we were in the moment just as those two characters. Like, a, it was, yeah, someone who just dropped acid in this big mustache cop guy. <laughs> it's fucking weird, man. Um, how do you guys, how do you Cthulhu? How do you, how, how does Insight Die work? I don't actually know. I've never read it. Um, in Cthulhu Dark, it, uh, so... The base mechanic in Cthulhu Dark is you roll a d6 if it's something that a human can do. Mm -hmm. You roll an additional d6 if it's something that is pertinent to your character. Um, Ooh, dice pools. Either by virtue of background or or skill or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if 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 it's in the presence of something weird, you probably roll the insight die as well. Basically, it's a... Got it. At most, you're rolling yeah. 3d6, I think. Um, and then you can re-roll die. the situation. Yeah, and then if you yeah. if you if your if your insight die is the highest die of the roll, and it's higher than your in, your current insight score on the insight track, your mm-hmm. insight score goes up by one. Okay. And you 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 start to you know you start to have those cracks in your mind where the real you know, world gets through kind of thing. Yeah, and just the game. Um, and then the like idea is, if you're if you're doing something normal, no, not really. It's meant to be like um, follow from the the narrative and have something come come from that. Uh, and then the idea is is when you're oh, bye, Boca. And then if you're rolling something that uh, if you're just doing like the two d six, the normal things, you can re-roll them. Anytime you want, and you know, I want a better result or whatever. And uh, anytime you re-roll, you have to include your inside die, and then that follows the same rules. And then the 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 interesting thing with Cthulhu Dark is it was it was built out of a it was built out of a similar reaction to Call of Cthulhu as like Trail of Cthulhu. I'm this not idea that crashed. there's this ah that'll happen. There is this perceived notion, right, that that Call of Cthulhu's base system could <laughs> it could deadlock the party because you get to a point where they rolled to investigate and they failed and they didn't find the clue and now the investigation is stopped and what can we do? There's no possible way forward, right? And so anybody anyone here is like, yeah, that's that sure sounds like a real problem. Um, Trail of Cthulhu kind of came out with this whole notion via the gumshoe that finding the clues wasn't the interesting part. Putting the clues together was the interesting part. So just fucking give the players, give the characters all the clues, like pepper them, make be very liberal with them. The interesting mm-hmm. thing is when they put them together to point in a direction or point to a person or point to a solution. And that's where, that's where the multi heads come in and you can, you can start to do this kind of thing. They need, they need more pieces to fill in that jigsaw puzzle, throw more clues at them and let them integrate that into what they've got. That's the important fun part is when they start to piece these things. Anyway, that was Trail of Cthulhu sort of innovated that and said, you know, stopping an investigation because of a bad role is dumb. So give mm-hmm. give the players all the information they can. Um, Cthulhu Dark takes a similar approach in that uh, there's no failure. Rolling a one uh, as your highest die means you get the bare minimum of information. The, one of the examples in the book is like you're searching through this guy's office for information. If you roll a one, well, you get a 
a slip of paper with an address written on it. Like, okay, cool. I know where to go next. And I'm going to go there. Kind of begs the question, why are you rolling? If you, anyway, you roll a, yeah. a, a, a two, three, four gives progressively more information. So then you find that it's associated with this mob boss that you know about, right? And you find out that it's associated with this mob boss who has particular, you know, penchant for whatever, the occult or something. And then if you roll a six, like not only is that a success, but that's an, a success that gives you un, you know, an unnerving amount of information, right? You find out that, um, you know, it, it's, like enough it's the name of an address or of a known hood. Like, like... And then, and then there's a photo in there that's like your father with this crime boss, and they're like chummy and having drinks in this party or yeah. something, right? They're both wearing tuxedos and things. And like, oh, that is unnerving because it implicates, it puts me into this mix somehow, and now I have to figure out how it's kind of like a dark secret, right? It's how, how do I, how do I now respond to this new information that I'm now part of this somehow part of connected to this conspiracy I'm looking into. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. It's like you want to roll high, but not too high because when you roll, when you roll a six, I think it, it might also then trigger an insight roll. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. There, there are ways that your insight keeps going up. And of course, when your insight goes to six, your, your mind goes kablooey and you melt down and have a breakdown kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the basic conceit in Cthulhu dark. And it's, it's great for cool. giving that kind of like um, play vibey, right? Play real vibey with that because uh, you're never going to get stymied for the procedural aspects of like investigating things. What you're going to get is more and more and worse information until your character goes bye-bye. Dante, you play a lot of your game. I think you've said your game is, you know, dark fantasy, right? Something along those lines. Dark, How, I, I, yeah, one of the settings I've created and run frequently is dark fantasy. Do you have any mechanics to back it up, or are you just going with vibe? How do you do it? So is mine. Uh, a a is lot too? of it True. is. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is vibe. I'll say. Um, a lot of it, you know, vibe heavy, and, and I don't want to say even vibe. Vibe we use almost too often as a general like catch-all for for not really saying anything meaningful i'll be more explicit um fiction that is viscerally dark a knight is not just someone in armor with a cool sword in my setting a knight is more like this person has killed enough people that they've been able to like access enough pieces of armor to have a full suit and and the full suit versus you know most people in my setting don't have armor essentially so it's like they are so so even if they aren't that good at fighting they should be you should be terrified of them because they have armor and you do not sort of thing um so you know that that's a dark fantasy but you know i describe try to describe things as looking you know maybe like dark souls or elden ring like you know things fall apart the center cannot hold (laughs) um so it's it's i don't want to say it's just vibes and like you know i I try to keep fairy tale as much as possible but when i say fairy tale i mean like you know this tree eats people um so like true (laughs) darker fairy tales or like what's the what's the one in the uk um it's like just a horse that drowns people 
Yep. <laughs> wow. you know, our our <laughs> games, I think I think we're coming at it from the same pers- the same general school of depressiveness. Um, <laughs> though my game is much more lo-fi. No, not lo-fi. I should say low-tech. Um, it's apocalyptic. Uh, it's combining elements of apocalyptic gaming with, I would say, very early civilization, almost Bronze Age. Um, imagine, imagine an eldritch, fog-infested land, cool, cold, damp, that wants to eat everything that is a light version of the dark sun setting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Zach, what are you doing yours? What are you doing, journeyman? Well, I don't know. That's what I, that's what I'm working up. Like, yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. So 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 far, the the game I'm running right now is I'm taking um, Soul Muppets uh, Throne of Avarice, which is kind of a more detailed setting examination mm-hmm. of the of the built-in setting for Best Left Buried. It's a mm-hmm. <clears throat> late Renaissance, you know capitalistic colonialist shitbag empire and mm. you are ultimately cogs in that huge machine and you kind of kind of feel how suss out how you feel about that and what you're going to do this. um That's you're basically a, a who does paul he loves that shit paul colonialism yeah. hey paul and uh yeah and so the the it was <clears throat> the book is is beautifully written it's uh, Brian Yaksha, I'm not sure if anybody is familiar with his stuff. He did Rake Hell, which is another kind of like here's a treatment of the border of the borderlands, uh, heavily contested, but no one actually wants to like live there. It's a it's a crappy like DMZ kind of a place uh, mm-hmm. between all of these pulling fiefdoms, and they all send just enough resources to keep it contested and keep everybody in there miserable. And good luck drop you in the middle of it kind of thing. Um, and it's meant to be very self-aware of that kind of an environment. And like, it was, I won't say it's a, it was a um, reaction to, but like, it's, that's certainly been a theme that's been talked about in the wider RPG blogosphere in, in recent years, right? The, the colonialist um, sure. underpinnings of borderlands encounters and incursions and, gold for XP and all that kind of shit. Uh, and so it takes it, it takes that like as a, as a, like an explicit, like framing of how play is done. And then you as player characters get to decide how are you going to interact with this world, right? You're you as equ- equivalent to like first level characters, you as, as fledgling adventurers, right. Um, used as pawns by these companies to extract wealth for the wealthy um, or extract resources for the wealthy, how are you going to react to it? You're not in a position where you're going to actually effectively change that uh, outside of engaging in some real long-term thinking Mm, and planning mm -hmm. or something. Right. So you're going to align yourself with, with, you know, rebel forces or the, the, you know, the, the protest wing of, of society, or are you going to, you know, start to try and eat it out from the inside. And, oh, that's, you know, 
best stories out there are people who are trying to do good from the inside and they will eventually just get crushed under the you know the weight of the system that they're trying to to gnaw out from so real life anyway that's that, that kind of thing yeah right such <laughs> so, happy monday morning uh, conversation <laughs> yeah man. so and so like, my, I my, totally... two, my two characters are like grave diggers I, I tend to one's zag. A, one's a one's a former. <laughs> okay, go you I'm go. Sorry. No, you go. So I thought you were done. This is You're the most polite Discord chat I've ever seen. Anyway, they're uh, they're Birkin <laughs> they're Birkin hair analogs, right? One's a one's a former doctor who's been deposed because of his you know necromantic uh, explorations. So he was a former professor, and his the other PC is a is a was a legitimate grave digger uh who you know fell upon hard times and needed cash and eventually started turning his eye to people coming in and robbing graves to actually then helping them out and then making money by supplying supplying a steady uh flow of bodies to like the local university anyway that's what that's who those two are now and they're like we're gonna see where where they go with that i was gonna say Go yeah, ahead, go and then I'll switch the topic entirely. So go ahead first. Yeah, I, I was going to. Well, if two things. A, I have been recording because uh, I I didn't realize we weren't in recording studio. So I don't. <laughs> we we could publish this if you want. Uh, but can we get releases say, from everybody? Yeah, I think that's going to be up to now. Bruno, we're we're going to call you Bruno now. <laughs> I mean, Did I guess everyone use their real name, so I'm. I won't mind. It's fine. No, it's fine. We use whatever we want. Um, and we, uh, I only post, um, uh, yeah, our, whatever our avatar names are. Uh, Zach just happens to have his. It's fine. I mean, I'm an artist, so my name's going to be out there one day anyway, so might as well get used to it. Okay. So, okay, Bruno. Um, so, <laughs> what right. I was going to say is, I tend to zag because it seems like everyone wants the dark grim. You know, like I get a lot of, you know, like metal vibes. I'm like, I don't like metal. So like I tend to zag to like, I really like, you'll be shocked. I live in a desert and I lo- I want to play in an actual desert that doesn't have Egyptians in it, maybe. Um, yeah, Dark Sun then. Well, I mean. Vaults of Varn. But that's kind of why that, that also led me to Paul's game, <clears throat> which is Paleolithic mm-hmm. Voyages, four ninety five. Oh God! Why are we all doing the same kind of thing? <laughs> well, no, it's but, not the same at all. But like, this is not the same at all. Yeah. So like, I I I was drawn to that because it was a total. You know, it's cool. What are what do I get? I get I get a rock and some flint. I'm in. I'm into this game. Like. Yeah, I don't need a sword. Fuck that, right? Like, so I was really into that vibe. And when we played, your it, literacy skills goes up by one point, and every time you go up by one point, you learn an additional word. Oh, don't get Paul started. Paleolithic folk knew a lot about. Uh, no, you know, I know. I'm joking. That sort of thing. But no, it, it was just like I thought that game was so cool, and like Paul, you've probably had. You've you've been you've had to beat off and beat back one ones of people to play that <laughs> to buy and play that game. I'm sure. <laughs> Except I did. I bought it yeah, twice. It's a high pressure situation, mate. I wish you'd all be quiet. Actually, I'm in, I'm in a library here. 
It sounds like Sorry. you're in a library. It does sound like you're in a library. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you yeah, getting shushed? Or one, do you need? Are you no, trying to one, shush yourself? One person, yeah, one person has been in all afternoon, so I thought I'd listen to this instead. And then, and then I thought I'll check out the news, right? And that's pretty grim. What with genocide and what have you? And then, yeah. and then, yeah. And then, as soon as I came on here, Zach was talking about. Uh, Colonialism, so that really tripped me up. <laughs> well, I'll change the topic because I have a question. I've been racking my brain with something for a while now, go. and I want to hear your thoughts. How would you go about designing a grid-based inventory in a TTRPG? So easy to do in a video game, so hard in person. Well, I, I will don't. say that some of them already exist. Um, yes, uh, they're all weird. <laughs> well, mm. Mouse Ritter comes to mind. I, I think that they're definitely very um, doable. Um, I think it. what are you going to get out of it is sort of the question. Okay, in a video right. game, so, in, in a video game context... Okay, sure, sure. Um, the game I'm going for is all about give and take. No good solutions, only trades. Um, and... I dislike the idea of just restricting the maximum weight that someone can carry because it's just, it's it just feels so arbitrary and it's not fun because you just have a line of like multiple lines of text and then weights next to it and you just have to add it up and it's it's a mess. I would love to make it a fun mini game of organizing, you know, your inventory. Like it, we've all played Diablo. Diablo is have frustrating because you, you have a million loot to 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 carry all the time, but. In, in a sort of survival that? strategic game, I feel like yeah. it would be interesting to visually kind of organize and have decide you what you put in there. Hmm? Have you seen Torchbearer? I heard, have you seen, and then I heard, have you seen Hosting on Pharaoh? Torchbearer. Torchbearer. Sorry. No, I have not. I heard the word, though. Okay, so Torchbearer has, um, um, for all its, it, all its crunchiness, it has a very beautiful... Uh, inventory system which is which is based around spaces in backpacks and sacks and Ooh. and worn gear um and on the character sheet is actually like a drawing of a backpack and um yeah it's um it's really nice and works really well um i it's a little bit it's a little bit of a more complicated version of can um or weird oh, north yeah, I see you it. Have... Head, neck, hands, torso, <clears throat> belt, feet, backpack, large sack, small sack, satchel. And I suppose it the was... lines in there are limited, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you so, can't uh, Yeah, so it's quite it's it's a mini game in itself, working out how to best you know, optimize your inventory situation. So you can change from a satchel to a backpack or pack some sacks in your backpack to open up when you've got something to fill your sacks with, which will give you a few more spaces, but then you'll have to carry them so you won't be able to carry stuff in your hands, right. you know, whether you can have a belt but, but, out or Okay, okay, that's a thing, that's a thing. But how would you, like, it, it leads to a lot of rules of, like, well, this armor fits in the backpack, but not in the large sack, and but, like... No, but if no, I put the no, armor to no. pieces and I put the the greaves in the small pack and the helmet in yeah, the back, no, there's no there's no rules. It's just everything takes up one space or two uh, spaces. I'm but, I'm you know, looking like, for actual sizes. Yeah, so it'll be like um, you find a rope can be worn one 
or Backpack 2, for example, or oh. you find um, Treasure Backpack 4 or whatever it might be. So everything will have a number of slots associated to it. It's pretty, oh, it's, so when they put parentheses, it's like so I see cloak, cloak, like cloak, and then cloak in parentheses, and bottle slash wine, and then bottle slash wine in parentheses. The parentheses says it's taking a second slot, but it's the same item. Yeah, I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't see the image you're looking at, but it's actually a very intuitive system. It's not not necessarily. Um, you know, it's much more intuitive than perhaps you would expect from the burning wheel table in that regard. <laughs> anyway, no I comment. like it. <clears throat> uh, here's the, is there, I'll post it here, I guess. Here's the link. Here's the image. Ooh. It's interesting. So, so is an example maybe of what you're looking for like something like resident evil in like it's like what video game you know i mean any any video game who has an inventory system that is old school where items have specific uh uh grid sizes it could be diablo it could be old um there's a few ttrpg a few crpgs that did uh, that did it this way um action rpgs in general like all all uh clickers like diablo and such do it uh, um resident evil does it it's just a grid with with squares on it and different items take different squares yeah it, so my my issue with that is it's it's un, it's another abstraction which is fine but if you're gonna it, i don't know okay uh, i guess if you go back I, to the roots i want to make choices fun um, yeah. and it's not fun to just go, my limit is 90 pounds and this is five. No, 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 no. So I like, uh, I like Troika's approach, um, because it, it offers, it offers a, it's an abstraction and offers a mechanical analog and an impact in, in play, which is kind of mm -hmm. fun. The idea is you can, I think, carry 12, 12 items and they're linear and some items take up two slots and some items, so it's slot based. But it's not grid-based. Well, so the the idea is you can carry twelve slots, and you, as the player, order them as you see fit. And here's the thing: uh, if you're trying to get at your inventory in a stressful situation, in the middle of combat, or someone's chasing you, or whatever, you need to roll uh, that number slot or above on two d six in order to get at it. Right, so it requires you to think. Okay, I'm going into a situation where what's the most important thing I need to get? It needs to be, you know, above slot five or six, right? To to basically give me instant access to it. Otherwise, you got to stop. You got to set your pack down. You have to role play out that situation where you're getting it and spend some time doing that. So that that's got an, an interesting mechanical tie-in to. Something that otherwise people are just like, I'm just going to keep writing shit down on my character sheet. I've got everything in the world. I'm that dude with, like, I'm Beetle from, you know, uh, Legend of Zelda, right? Just this guy with a huge pack on my back and carry everything with me. Um, so that's that's like that's a that's an abstraction that I like because it keeps it fairly lightweight. Like, you've got a list of things, and they're, you know, very easy to order by number. I've played Troika a couple of times. Does it have anything similar to the 
to the can um, to the can system where you you would add fatigue to your inventory if you became fatigued. No, I, I, like think that. that's a, I think that's a great uh, addition and abstraction I, and a yeah. way to, care, to to treat conditions as something that basically remove your ability to endure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so, yeah. When your inventory is full of gear plus fatigue, you lose all your hip protection. Which I, I like a lot. Hmm. It's a lot to think about. Also, but I guess the either... evil answer is ship your game with a companion app, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mouseritter tries Mouseritter's character sheet actually provides a, a grid like two D, uh, yeah. two by six or something grid. Uh, yeah. And... The problem is you erase every time you change something. Well, yeah, you're given you're given like tokens that that take up one or two, you know, one by one or one by two. Um, <clears throat> Mouseritter is naive, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Nave and into the odd. I'm bringing. A, I'm gonna break Bruno's game when I play it, and just bring three donkeys with me. It'll be fine. I see how you are. <clears throat> it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I'm also. <laughs> you haven't even seen may, the game. They may or may not be tripping do. on ball, balls on acid. Sorry. <laughs> I'm early in the dev time, so that's 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 the time to break it. Hey friends, I gotta drop off. I gotta go pick up my kid from school. But I'm yeah. so glad that uh, we could carve out a nice hour of chat time. Yeah, it was good. So early. I mean, I, I guess the... It's weird without a cocktail. <laughs> it is early. It's it's 2 p.m. for me. It's it's uh, a late morning. Cool. All right. We'll, we'll, I'll catch you guys we'll on do the this again. Yeah, thanks, Later, Sure.